Lord, thank you for your goodness. Uh, just thank you for your mercy that you give to us so freely despite our many, many shortcomings, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that as we peek into your word um, in this passage with Paul and everything he's saying to the Corinthians, Lord, help us to see you in this passage as we glean from Paul. Help us to see your son Jesus in this passage and how he relates to us. And so we just give you this time together and uh, we just pray that you bless this time. And we say this in your mighty name. Amen. Um, sorry, here we go. So, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're going to continue on in chapter 12. Um, so, if you could just start turning there, we're going to be in verses 11 through 21, kind of a, a, a good-sized chunk. Um, and if you're using the seat Bibles, it'll be page 970. And so, um, yeah, just as you're turning there, I just want to start with a question for you. When you think of the Apostle Paul, right? Paul wrote the Corinthian letters and most of the epistles in the New Testament. When you think of Paul, what comes to your mind? Uh, what tends to come to your mind? Some of us, maybe we think like powerful theologian, scholar, like he wrote one of the best dissertations of the gospel, like, <laughs> I don't know, probably in history, the book of Romans, right? Um, some of us, maybe we think of one of the best missionaries of all time. Like he planted loads of churches in such a small amount of time across the Mediterranean. Um, maybe we just think like, I don't know, maybe I read Paul and I'm like, I don't connect with him. Like, I think he's, I don't know, I just think he's um, hard to understand as Peter would say in one of his letters. Uh, whatever we think of Paul, uh, I think the passages that we're going to look at today really really show Paul's heart for the Corinthians. Um, he loves these, these people. He loves this church. And I think sometimes when we think of Paul, um, maybe just in our Christian culture or whatever, we, I think we tend to kind of miss his heart. Uh, we look at everything that Paul did and all the powerful ways that God used him. Um, but Paul had a beautiful heart for the people that he pastored and loved and, you know, all the churches he planted and even just the non-Christians just in the cities that he visited. And so the passage today is really going to highlight some things about Paul that I think is going to also help us glean the heart of God for us as God is leading us in whatever way in your life, like Whichever way you're going, God is leading us. And I think sometimes it's hard to trust God, if we're honest. Um, but what we're going to find in this leadership of Paul is um, Paul's heart was that the Corinthians would know Jesus and trust his leading in, in their life. And that he would, they would trust him as God is leading Paul to, to, to help these churches. And so... We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 11 through 21. We're going to read it together. So if you will, just like stand out of respect for the word of God if you're able. Um, if not, you're still good. We're, we're doing it. We're going to read our way through it, and then we're going to unpack just the whole passage um, today. So starting in verse 11. I have made a fool of myself, and you have drove me to it. Now, if you don't know what he's talking about, I would say listen to uh, last, 
last Sunday's message, Pastor Sam really unpacked this. Um, but he continues, I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs and wonders and miracles. How were you inferior to other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you a third time, and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And so I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I, I, I was caught in your trickery. He's being sarcastic here. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you and sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps of the same spirit? Verse 19, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything that we do, beloved, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition and slander and gossip and arrogance and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over the many who have sinned, sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. Thank you, guys. Have a seat, please. Awesome. So big chunk of uh, just Paul laying out his heart to the Corinthians. This is uh, close to the end of the letter. So, it, you know, he said a lot in these two letters. Um, and he's just really laying his heart out. And, and we're really just going to work down the passage because the Holy Spirit just laid it out perfectly to work down the passage. And so we're going to look at three things that kind of um, just... Uh, like Paul's leadership just kind of showed um, in his heart to, to the Corinthians. So the first thing that we see in verses 12 through 13 uh, is this authentic calling to the Corinthians as an apostle. Like he had an apostolic ministry to these people, which gave him a certain authority to speak into their life. It's why Paul was able to say in all of this letter certain things and uh, the corrective nature of his leading or like calling out certain things like God gave him authority as an apostle to speak into the lives of the Corinthians and when I say authentic um, I don't mean it in the way that our culture kind of has adopted the word you know when I when, I, when we think authentic we think like I, I, the best me or the true me or whatever the case like as an apostle like he says um, I pers persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. He's contrasting these false apostles in the church that are trying to discredit Paul's apostolic ministry, his authority 
over the people. Because if, he, if they can discredit that and get the people to believe, oh, he's not really an apostle, then they've kind of elevated themselves in this apostolic uh, sphere, which would make that, that they had to obey these false apostles who were actually quite literally destroying their church. And so, what is an apostle? Right, we see it all the time. Maybe we, in the letters, uh, Paul opens up with this all of the time. Uh, you know, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, right? We see it all the time. But what is an apostle? Is it just, uh, is it just something, like a title? Is it, what, like, what is it? And so we're going we're gonna to kind of unpack this because this is why this is important. Paul leans on his apostolic authority and ministry um, to, to center on, uh, it gives credibility to his leadership, to, to these churches, to these people. And so without this aspect of his leadership, he's just like maybe some of the other false apostles, just, just telling people his opinion, what he thinks, his interpretation of things. But it's not, like God called him an apostle. So what does it mean to be an apostle? We're going to look at Luke chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 12. Jesus uh, uses this word the first time in this passage, and we're going to read it in context here. One of the days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And when the morning came, he called his disciples. So he had like a mass amount of disciples, like a lot of disciples. And he called 12 of them and delegated them to be apostles. And then he goes on and names all of them, all of the 12 apostles that he's, he's called. And so Jesus calls uh, 12 of his many disciples to enter into the specific calling of an apostle. And so what does this word mean? In the Greek, it means a messenger. It means a sent one, one who is sent. And in regard to this specific office that, that Jesus is uh, calling these disciples into, it related to, like, Jesus wanted to start his church. Like, he's, he, he is starting his church with these 12 men, and these are going to be the forerunners of the church. These are going to be the guys who go out, and they start to plant churches, and they start to bring the gospel to uh, the ends of the earth, and then we end up here today. They were the forerunners of the church. Question, was Paul a part of these 12 apostles? No. I don't see Paul's name on there. So what qualified Paul to be an apostle? I think that's a great question to ask as we consider, you know, his apostolic calling. Because, you know, maybe one of these false leaders would say, well, he wasn't one of the chosen. He's not Peter. Right? He's not James. He's not... Right? He's not one of those guys. And so, is he apostle? Is he? I don't know. But I think what we're going to see and find out is he is. Interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 1, we get the qualifications for that office of apostle. So in Acts chapter 1, a little bit of context here. Jesus rose. Uh, he commissioned his 12, or at this time, 11 apostles, because Judas betrayed Jesus. So, that's one apostle out. So there's 11 apostles. Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world. Does anyone remember this, this passage? I want you to go into all the world. Uh, or, uh, you, like, I can't even remember it <laughs> myself. Uh, 
just Acts 1.8, right? The Holy Spirit gives you power, um, and you're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, and Peter, he's sitting with all of his, his apostles and the disciples of that time. It's about 120 of them in a room. And he says, hey, we, Judas, um, he, he betrayed Jesus according to the scriptures, but the scriptures also says someone needs to fill his place. So we need to, we need to vote someone into this office. And Paul says in verse 21, he says, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness of us to the resurrection. And then they go on and they mention two, two men who, who were disciples, one of the many disciples in that, that herd of people that follow Jesus. And, and God chooses Matthias to, to fill that spot. But this is important because to be an apostle, you've had to walk physically with Jesus, learn physically from Jesus, and, and be in that ministry with Jesus physically. Like you've had to been physically called by Jesus to be an apostle, which means that in our day, if you see someone titling themselves apostle so-and-so, what do you do? You don't believe them because they're not an apostle. Because <laughs> not one of us can claim that we physically have walked with Jesus in the way that the 12 apostles did. Right? So we have a gifting of, of an apostleship in Ephesians 4. Right? Like, like you can be gifted in this manner of going in and, and like as a missionary and going into new territory and bringing the gospel. But this office... It's, it's only reserved for those who walked with Jesus, were taught physically by Jesus. And we know that Paul had this experience during his conversion. And we have an account of that in Acts chapter 9, where Paul, the persecutor of Christians, is converted and believes in Jesus when, they, when he interacts and sees the physical resurrected Jesus. And Paul is kind of making an account of this in Galatians chapter 1. And this is where we get where Paul is qualified as an apostle. In verse 11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 15 and says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, and was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. And then three year, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, or Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. So, what is happening here? Paul has a conversion with, uh, or, or a moment with Jesus. Jesus comes to him physically and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? I'm calling you to be a witness to the Gentiles. And then he, he becomes blind. And there's a whole story. You can read it in Acts chapter 9, Paul's whole conversion experience. But what he says is, 
he actually doesn't go up to the, uh, the other apostles. He goes away, and most scholars and theologians believe that in this time, this is where he is being taught by Jesus the gospel. He is being taught physically by Jesus for three years, the same amount of years that the other apostles spent with Jesus. Does that make sense? So Jesus is giving him the necessary qualifications to be what he is calling him to be. I'm calling you to be an apostle, and the only way that's going to happen is you've got to spend time with me physically, and I'm going to teach you the gospel. And that's what he means. He's, he waited for three years before meeting Peter and spending 15 days with him. And so it's clear that Paul was called to be an apostle, and his life is evidence of this. Yet, Paul says that he demonstrated the signs of a true apostle. So not only was he a true apostle, but he demonstrated the signs of a true apostle. Why does he say this? We have to remember, so if you... If you weren't with us like last week or maybe even just like throughout this letter, I encourage you to go listen to Pastor Sam's last sermon because this really helps us to understand uh, what, why Paul is kind of resorting to uh, mentioning this. Because at the time, again, these false apostles, these false teachers were trying to discredit Paul's apostolic ministry. Paul is not an apostle. He talks a big game, but he's not an apostle. He didn't spend time with Jesus physically. He wasn't called with the other apostles. He's not like Peter. He's not like those guys. Whatever the case, whatever they said, they were trying to discredit his ministry. And so how does Paul respond to this? He says, I demonstrated the true signs of an apostle. And what were the signs? Signs, wonders, and miracles. I demonstrated these things among you. And we see this as you read, like, maybe the book of Acts. You see it a lot. Signs, wonders, and miracles followed all of the apostles, all of them. Every apostle, like Jesus, did miracles through them. And it wasn't just to say, hey, I did a miracle. Hey, this is pretty cool. I can just do this all I want. This is fun. No, like Jesus is doing these miracles and these wonders as signs to the people that these are the people that Jesus is called as apostles. Jesus is living. He is doing the miracles through them. And so we should believe this message that Jesus is alive because Jesus is doing the miracles. Does that make sense? Yeah, like the message is Jesus is alive. You need to repent and give your life. Well, how do I believe you? Well, the same Jesus in the earthly ministry where he was doing the miracles is doing them now through the apostles that he's called. In Acts chapter 19, 11 through 12, Luke, the writer, writes this about Paul. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. There's no, there's no question about it there. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and, were given, and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Healed by aprons. Therefore, in Romans chapter 15, 7 through 19, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and what I have done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem and all the way around 
Araicum, or however you say that word, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's evident, like, Paul was an apostle, and these miracles testified to his message and to his leadership as divinely inspired. Like, he was called by God. But I think this kind of, we got to kind of hit on this, this for a moment. Because I think when we read passages like that, right, those very miraculous passages, right, and we, we read that in the Gospels with Jesus, but it's kind of different when we read it in Acts. I mean, they're doing, like Paul rose someone from the dead after preaching, and he fell out a window. He rose him from the dead and said, all right, listen again, like, <laughs> and he went back to preaching. Like, that's crazy. He's doing cra- they're doing crazy stuff, and I think it's easy for us when we're reading, like, the signs, wonders, and miracles, like in the book of Acts, we can quickly jump to the question of, does God do that today? Right? That's how I do Like I'm like, man, God, do you do that today? And I, there's nothing wrong with that question. I think we need to figure out, like, where we stand on that and, like, look at the scriptures about that. And personally, I do believe that God does move like this still. But I think jumping too quickly like that when we're reading it kind of misses the point as to why God is highlighting it. You hear what I'm saying? Like, like Paul, like, we're jumping too quick to application, and we're not really looking at why is God highlighting these miracles in the book of Acts as it relates to the apostles. And the reason why, I think, is because we, we just want to partake in that. I mean, that'd be kind of cool if I got healed, right? That'd be kind of cool to do that. I need some, I need some healing, man. Um, but I think God wants to highlight these things as we look at the ministry of the apostles so that we understand and we know, okay, I need to listen to what is being said here. I need to, I need to take this seriously. This is a divine message from people who were divinely called by God, and these miracles are testifying to that. That's why God is highlighting this so that I take it seriously. And so this aspect of Paul's leadership was important for him. It was important for him to communicate this to the Corinthians, because he's asking a lot from the Corinthians. Like, listen, you need to repent, man. You guys are off the deep end, and you guys are listening to these people. And I'm telling you, as someone who is called to you as an apostle, you got to repent. And I've demonstrated miracles and signs and wonders to testify that I do have that authority as an apostle who is called to you. So, that's important. But I think there's two other things that we see in the passage here that kind of go along with um, Paul's apostolic calling towards them. In verses 14 through 18, it says this, Now I am ready to visit you for a third time. And I will not burden you, because what I want is not your possessions. I want you. After all, children should not have to say for the parents, but the parents for their children, for I will be very gladly be spent for you and spend everything I have and expend myself as well. What is this getting at? This is getting at the fatherly affection that Paul has for these people. This, this was uh, very evident in Paul's ministry 
especially as we see it in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, uh, the, the last letter that he wrote, in chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, this is how Paul talks about his leadership to the people. I'm writing you not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. He's saying, listen, I, I am your spiritual father. And he has this fatherly affection in his leadership towards them. Paul not only wanted to lead them as an apostle who was called to them, definitely wanted to do that, but along with that, he wanted to lead them as a father leads a child. He saw them as his children. He's like, I need to teach you this. Jesus taught me this. I need to teach you this. You were new to the gospel. You didn't know anything about it, and I came in, and I shared this with you, and I pastored you, and I loved you as a father loves a child. And I think I understand this a little bit more now <laughs> with my son, Apollos. And I don't think you can only understand this, like, if you have children. But for me, I, it just, it really does help me understand, because right now he's, like, he's walking, kind of, and he, he's stumbling over everything <laughs> on the couch and everything. And I'm just, like, you know, I'm holding his hands. And the one thing that I want him to know when I'm doing that is I'm teaching you from a place of love as your father. Like, I don't want to just, like, be this empty void, like, teaching you how to walk. Like, I'm your father, and I love you, and I want to teach you how to walk. And I think we see this in God's leadership to his people, Israel, but also to us. This is how God leads us. And I want to look at this in uh, Hosea chapter 11. If you don't know what the, you know, if you don't, never read of the book of Hosea, it's a beautiful book. But it was during a time when the people were leaving God. It was during a time when people were abandoning God. And Hosea writes in chapter 11, under the, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, this beautiful, like the very words of God towards these people. And I mean, listen to the way that God describes his leadership and his leading for the people. When Israel was a child, verse 1, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. And they sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to the images. Verse 3, But it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness and with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. These are the very words of God to the people. This is how God is speaking to his people. He said, you were like a child, and I bent down to feed you, and I lifted you up. God led the Israelites, encouraged them, called them, and when necessary, correct them all from a place of, 
of a loving father. And I don't know what our relationship with our parents are like, our, our fathers, our mothers. I know for me, my dad wasn't really in the picture. I didn't have a dad who sat there and helped me to walk. That would, my stepdad did that. But my biological dad didn't care. And I don't know what it's like for you or what your parents, maybe you had a really great relationship with your parents, but I could tell you this much, none of them were perfect, right? Not one, not one. And so I think when we think about God's leading, it's hard to think of it from a place of perfection. Like that God is leading us in a fatherly way and he's doing it perfectly. Because we can't wrap our mind, we, 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 we don't have the capacity to understand the perfection of a loving father. And that even when God is leading us into hardship, it's hard to trust that God is still doing it as a, a heavenly father who loves us. And we kind of look at God and we think, God, what are you doing? Don't you love me? Why are you leading me into the fire? But what did we just read during worship? When you're in the fire, I will be with you. When you go into the waters, I will be with you. And we see this all throughout God's leadership and his love for the people. And I think when we learn to see God's leadership and shepherding of us through the lens of a father who loves us, through fatherly affection, it gives us the ability and gives us the capacity to trust him more to trust him when, if I'm looking at this in all different angles, by all means, this just doesn't look like you're leading me into a good spot. But I know that you are a heavenly father who is perfect and you love me. And so I can trust that even if I don't understand all of this leading or where, where I'm going, I can trust that you are good either way and that you will not lead me into anything that will cause me ruin. But I think, too, when we see this aspect of Paul's leadership, we see the love that Paul has for these, for these people. Again, he loves the Corinthians so much, and a pastor, another preacher, said, said this in a sermon about this, uh, Ron Stone. He said, Paul could have washed his hands of this rebellious, filthy, unrepentant church and left it in the hands of Apollos or Peter. But Paul did not abandon his spiritual children because he saw himself as their spiritual father. Paul could have said, okay. I'm done. You want to believe these people who are discrediting everything that I have brought you into and the benefits that you have in the gospel? You want to go and dig your own grave and go back to the things that, that, that you were delivered from? Okay. Bye. I'll leave it in the hands of the other people. Paul doesn't do that. He writes these le four letters. We have two. There are two other ones that we don't have recorded. Four letters to these people. Three visits to these people. After planting and being with this church for years, Paul is invested in these people. He loves them. 
but why would Paul stay? And I think this is the, the third thing that I, I think we see in Paul's leadership um, and his love for the people is that he genuinely, care, he genuinely cares for the people. Paul loves these people. And I think this is key in understanding Paul, man. Like, if we're, if we're going to understand Paul, we have to understand that he cares for these people. He wants their relationship with Jesus to matter to them. He wants them to be walking in holiness. He wants them to, he's like, guys, God has so much for you. And I'm trying to get you to see that because I care for you. Paul, I mean, listen to how he talks, starting in verse 19 in our passage. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, beloved, is for your strengthening. Everything that we do, everything that I say, everything that we have done in your life has been for your strengthening, not your downfall. And then he says and goes on and, and talks about how I'm scared. During this next visit, I'm scared that I'm not going to find you as I want you to be. I'm not going to find you unified. I'm scared I'm not going to find you in a good place with the Lord, that there's going to be division and all of this evil and this, and this wickedness and that people are going to be unrepentant and all of the sin that I've tried to correct. And then he says, like, and I'm scared that you're not going to find me as you want me to be. You want me to be like these super apostles. I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to tell you what you need to do to get right with Jesus. I'm not going to let you circle around your sin and, and dive into your sin. I care for you. And so Paul is talking about this to the people, and he's trying to get them to, to recognize that he cares for them. And again, I think this aspect of Paul's leadership emulates the heart of God and his leading for us. In Jesus' ministry, I think this is clearly seen in Matthew chapter 9. You could turn there with me if you want. Um, but in, in, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looks at the crowd of people who are following him. Now think about this. Jesus is doing loads of miracles. He's doing loads of miracles. He's healing people. He's, he is teaching people things. And these people are like catching on to Jesus because you're going to see what, how Matthew describes the people and the state that they were in. It says in verse 35, Jesus went through all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But hold on, these people had leaders and religious leaders that they looked up to and that were supposed to be guiding them. So how can Jesus say that they were like sheep without a shepherd? Because the people weren't leading them. The people, Jesus would say, are placing heavy burdens 
that no one, they themselves are not willing to lift. And so Jesus looks at these people and says, and thinks, I want to shepherd them with care. I want them to see my care and the care of God. And as we glean from this, we see that Jesus wants the best for these people. He wants them to walk in freedom. He desires for them to walk in healing and wholeness. He longs to shepherd them into holiness and away from wickedness. And Paul wanted the people that he loved to know this. Not just about his leadership, but about God. This is how God cares for you. He's not going to let you sit in your sin. He's not going to let you sit in your sin. God shows us his caring nature through this aspect of Paul. And Paul's heart was for the Corinthians to be convinced that, man, Paul does love us. He's writing these letters because he loves us. And not only does he love us, but God loves us because he has called Paul to us as an apostle. So authentic calling toward the people, fatherly affection, genuine care, marks of Paul's leadership that showed the people this is how God leads you. But why do we consider these things? Why should we consider Paul? I mean, he was just a man. like He's just like us. Why should we consider these, these things? I think, if we're honest, every single one of us struggles on some level to trust God's leading. I think, I mean, I, I think every Christian struggles to trust God fully in his leading. How can I say that? Because all of us are not Jesus, and we're not perfect. There's only one person who trusted the Father in his leading, and that's Jesus, fully. But even though we're imperfect in our trust of God, God builds our trust and our capacity to trust him as we walk with him into deeper and harder things, not just by like, uh, like, like there's a work that God does in us in order to build that capacity. And it comes from gleaning from things like this, like Paul's leadership and how he leads the people in the Corinthians. And I believe that as we glean these truths of Paul's leadership, we kind of learn a lot about ourselves when we're reading these letters. When I read Corinthians, I'm tempted to say, man, those people were jacked up. <laughs> those people were messed up. But that's me, man. That's me. Like, that's us. We are the Corinthians. Not technically, but we, we are just as, as struggling as, as they are, as, as people who are imperfect and bent towards sin and wickedness. And so when we look at the care and love of Paul, who did not abandon them because of all of these things, we can learn, okay, God does not abandon me despite my sin. I can believe that. Doesn't mean he's going to tolerate it. Paul didn't tolerate the sin. Like, God does not tolerate sin, but he doesn't abandon us. He leans in, and he leans in, and he leans in. And he teaches us how to walk in this holiness.
Christ is the authentic and true Messiah who called and was called to save and sustain us. Christ perfectly emulates the heart of the Father to us, and Christ cares for us as a shepherd who cares for his sheep. All of it points to Jesus. Everything in this Bible, in this word, points to Jesus, and that includes Paul, his leadership, Peter, all of the other apostles, and all of their interactions with other real humans and real people and real interactions all point to Jesus. Everything. And so we can learn and see Jesus' leading and how he's leading us as we glean from these things in Paul's life and his relationship with the Corinthians. I want to end by reading a passage in Deuteronomy that I think kind of captures everything that we were talking about um, in regards to, to the heart of God and how he leads us. Verses, uh, chapter 32, verse 10 through 12. And I want you to listen to the words, again, that God is using to describe himself and how he leads his people. Like God chooses to use imagery in his communication for a reason. In verse 10, he says, and this is Moses speaking about the people and how they were led out of Egypt. In a desert land, I found him, speaking of Israel. In a barren and hollowing waste, he shielded me, or I shielded him and cared for him. And he guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led them. No foreign god was with him. God loves you guys. He doesn't just love what you do. And I need you to hear that. He doesn't just love what you give him. He loves you. Just like Paul said, like, he's like, I don't want your possessions. I want you. That's the heart of God right there. He's like, you can give me all you want, but if you're not giving me your heart, I could care less about it. And this is, this is God's heart for us and for you as he leads you. He wants to lead you, not just what you do. Obviously, all of what you do will come from that, but first and foremost, he wants you and your heart. And so I, I just want to pray for you guys just as we, as we close. Lord, I just thank you for Paul. Thank you for the ways that you used him in the lives of the Corinthians who were real people, just like you and me, just like us. Um, broken people. And I just thank you that we have the opportunity and the privilege to read the very words of Paul to these people and that we can glean your son in, 
and the way that he had a relationship with these broken people. And so I, I just pray for each and every one of us. Lord, help us trust you in your leading. Help us to be honest with where we're at and to recognize that I don't maybe trust God as much as I think I do. Help us to take off the good Christian mask and to be honest with you and say, Lord, I need you to help me to see you as a good father, as a caring God who actually cares about my soul and cares about the things that are going on in my life. Lord, help us to see those things, to internalize those, internalize those things, to take them to heart and to believe them. Give us faith, Jesus, to trust that you're our Savior, not just in the moment when we converted, but every single day you are our Savior, that you are our shepherd, and that you show and reveal the heart of the Father. We love you, Lord. We give all of our life to you. And we say this in your mighty name. Amen. Everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.